Well, here we are again, gathered together in this place, another Sunday morning, another group of failures. Am I I not supposed to say that? Is that not okay for me to, to call somebody a failure in this day and age? Out of line, cross the line, have I? It's interesting if you feel that way, if, it, if you were kind of shocked, because why shouldn't I be able to call you what you call yourself more than anybody else? Every one of us, in one area of another or another of life, if not multiple areas, are constantly buying into what we tell ourselves that we are failures. Which area of life would you like to begin in? How about relationships? Are you single? Well, why is it then that you have to emphasize that, well, you're just picky, and a good man or a good woman is just hard to find? Well, why do you need to rationalize that in your own mind except to counter what you tell yourself all the time, which is that because you are a single, you must be a failure? And it doesn't matter if you're single or not, actually, even if you are married. The same voice accuses you of the same thing. You simply compare yourself to other spouses, other husbands, and other wives, and in comparison to them, you are telling yourself the same thing. Wow, I am a failure as a wife or a husband. Tell yourself the same thing in the area of work. You're still at the same job. No promotion. You haven't improved, haven't moved up the corporate ladder at all. Well, why do you have to tell yourself, well, no, I'm, I'm fine with this job, it brings in a paycheck. I'm not, I'm not all that driven. I don't need to, to get to the next level. Well, why do you tell yourself those things to counter that constant voice in your head that says you are a failure at your job? Do you want to talk about our Christian faith, our lives of sanctification, how you measure up as a Christian? We're all definitely in the same boat there concluding that I am a failure in that department as well. Failures. All of us. When you consider failure, or really I suppose it's it's the fear of failure, have you ever stopped to ask how many absolutely amazing things have never happened in this world because of a fear of failure? How many great ideas, how many progressive things, how many advancements have never even happened, even though the people with those ideas also have the ability and the skill to carry them out, but don't because of a fear of failure. And it's not just a fear of failure. We've all experienced it. We've all failed in the past, and then we allow our past failures to predetermine our future failures, and so we don't act. We have all experienced the crushing weight of failure. And I don't know if if that's how we would describe how the disciples felt the morning that John described in the gospel. I mean, after all, they were fishermen, and so they were likely accustomed to, to going without catching fish. But regardless of how they felt, we can draw the conclusion that they failed that evening. John gives us the the details, picking it up in the end of verse 1. It says, It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, 
But that night, they caught nothing. They failed. Again, whether or not they took it in stride or weighed heavily on them, it was a wasted night. They caught nothing. I'm sure that everybody here has heard it probably ad nauseum, and it's probably one of the most misattributed quotes often to Albert Einstein, but there's enough evidence that seems to indicate pretty solidly that he didn't actually say it. But the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Regardless of who said it, there's some truth to it. If you want to change, if you want something to be different in your life, you can't expect that that's going to happen if you're doing the same thing over and over again. The point of it is, whatever different results you want, something has to change, something has to be tweaked, something has to be done differently. To do the same thing and expect you'll get different results is kind of foolish. So how do you think it sounded to the disciples as they were out there on the boat, a, a night of failed fishing, and then they hear this voice from the shore, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So Jesus essentially was telling the disciples, That thing that you've been doing all night and haven't had any success doing, you know that thing? Yeah, yeah, do that again. And this time you're going to have success. Foolishness, right? We don't know what prompted them to actually follow the advice. Perhaps they reasoned, you know, we have empty nets anyways. What's the worst that can happen is that we're still going to end up coming to shore with empty nets. we got nothing to lose, so we might as well try it. Maybe they assumed that this individual from the shore, remember they didn't know that it was Jesus yet, Maybe, uh, as fishermen tell around that community, you can sometimes see from the shore a, a shoal or a school of fish catches off the water. And so maybe they reasoned the individual saw something they couldn't from their own boat and nothing to lose. Or maybe they recalled, as you might, a previous experience, a prior experience fishing when Jesus called them as disciples and the two boats were almost sunk because of the catch of fish. Maybe that was in their minds and they thought, hey, maybe something like that could happen again. Whatever the reason behind it, they listened to Jesus, they did what he said, and John tells us the results were quite different. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. They had failed, but Jesus turned their failure into success. Jesus really rewrote that whole business about insanity, doing the same thing over and over, not working. Jesus changed the rules as far as how that applies. And it's very true spiritually speaking, isn't it? In fact, that is the key to spiritual growth. You keep doing the same thing when it comes to putting your faith into action, when it comes to reading and digesting the Word and filling up on the sacraments. It's, it's the same thing over and over and over that promises to produce results. In fact, Jesus told another parable that we're all pretty familiar with, the parable of the sower and the seeds that illustrates that very point. You have the example of the seed that, that thrived initially that represents new believers that heard the gospel. They were overjoyed, elated with this wonderful news that their sins were forgiven. But then suddenly they took their eyes off, they stopped doing what they had been doing, and instead focused on cares and concerns and worries of life. 
shallow roots, weeds, stunted growth, because they failed to keep doing what they had been doing. And we too can relate. We pray once, twice. Didn't get the results we were hoping for, so I guess we're done with that prayer and we'll move on. We realize that our, our, our attendance, our worship, our gathering together is somewhat sporadic, so we commit to doing it for a number of weeks or even months, and, and then we reevaluate and we realize, well, nothing's really different in my life, and so we quit and go back to the old sporadic pattern of worship. Maybe we do the same with giving. I'll increase my giving, see how that plays out. Well, I'm giving more, and yet nothing has changed. I'm not seeing any blessings as a result of it, so I might as well go back to what I was giving previously. I know I should be in the Word daily, so I'm committed to, to trying it for a number of weeks, being in the Word, being devotional. I'm not seeing anything different, and so we quit. See, our problem is, is not the definition of insanity. Our problem is not doing the same thing over and over and over again and not getting results. Our problem is either we don't do those things, we aren't committed to doing them over and over, or we pull the plug too early before we see any results. When it comes to putting our faith into practice in that regard, yeah, every one of us has to fess up. We are failures. We are failures when it comes to yearning and desiring and pursuing spiritual growth. Well, actually, the resurrection has changed that. We were, we were failures, but we are no longer failures. Jesus has changed that, and in order for that to change, Jesus himself had to be viewed as a failure. It wasn't too long ago, just a, a few weeks now, that we, we enjoyed Holy Week, the build-up to Good Friday. And when you reflect on Good Friday, can you imagine that there was anybody on that day that looked and saw Jesus suspended from the cross that did not conclude that Jesus was a failure? What other conclusion would you come to than seeing a guy convicted to die the death of a criminal and be executed for it? Even his disciples, while they would have reasoned and probably explained it, saying Jesus got a raw deal, that he didn't get a fair trial, that everybody was opposed to him and would never got a fair shake, still they couldn't deny there he was hanging on the cross. And then, to say nothing of Jesus' enemies, gloating, rejoicing, seeing this is exactly what we were hoping for. This is what we were working to. This nuisance Jesus has failed. His whole movement has been squashed. If you doubt it, look at the exclamation point that is Jesus suspended on the cross. And those are all just earthly observers on that Good Friday. How do you imagine the hordes of hell were celebrating on Good Friday as they saw what they were sure was a failure on the part of God's plan of salvation? God's Son coming into the world in flesh. What a big deal. And here they had won their victory. Here Satan and all of the evil angels with him undoubtedly were rejoicing because the Savior nailed to the cross was to them a sign of victory. God and his plan had failed. Well, they were right. It was, in fact, a sign of victory and still to this day is a sign 
of victory. But not because their plans had succeeded in the way that they thought. And even though Satan's plans had been carried out perfectly just as he expected, remember, Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not God. Satan was merely putty in the hands of God, carrying out his plan of salvation from day one, even with what appeared to be the failure Jesus hanging on the cross. Yes, it was the sign of victory, but not Satan's victory, rather God's victory. And how ironic, isn't it, that with those nails that were pounded into Jesus, as as Satan was thinking those were the signs of of his victory, those were the signs that he had won, that he had one-upped the Father who had cast him out of heaven. And those very nails really symbolized the nails that Satan pounded into his own coffin, undermining his plan because God was the one all along, even using Satan's scheming to carry out his plan of salvation to assure us that not the one hanging on the cross but the Satan who had worked so hard to put him there was the failure. And that changes everything for you. Jesus has won. That Savior hanging on the cross is a picture of victory because of the resurrection, because of the vacant tomb, because he has risen from the dead and did not stay as Satan hoped he would. But because he rose victoriously, that is the guarantee that the Father has accepted his payment in full, the sacrifice that was necessary to forgive failures was accepted. Satan lost. Satan was the loser. Satan had failed. Do you remember to tell him that? When he whispers into your ears what a failure you are. Do you remember to point out to the devil when he is pressing you in the heat of temptation that he is the loser, that he has already lost, that he has failed? Do you remember even when it feels like in your worst moments when you have fallen into sin, when temptation has gotten the better of you and it feels like, yes, you do need to hand over that victory trophy to Satan fair and square, do you remember that even in those moments of temptation, because of the grace and forgiveness that flows with such force from the empty tomb, that not even then, not even in your weakness of temptation, has Satan won. Satan has still failed. Satan is a loser. Do not hesitate to remind him of that in your moments of weakness. It makes a difference for us. It makes all the difference in the world. We're not just talking about a, a title. We're not just talking about the way that God sees you. We're talking about real change in your life. That you are not a failure. Do you notice, uh, if you compare the events that was recorded in John's Gospel here to the first time that Jesus called his disciples and had the miraculous catch of fish, a lot of similarities, but pretty big difference in the end result. Remember what happened the first time when Jesus allowed them to catch this miraculous catch, again, the, the nets that almost sunk two boats? Do you remember how Peter responded when he realized who Jesus was? Away from me, Lord. 
I have no business being in the presence of someone who is able to do something like this. I do not deserve an audience with you. I am, wor I am not worthy of being in your presence. Compare that reaction with the reaction that was recorded for us in John's Gospel today. Pretty different. Verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, we said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. What a different reaction. What had changed from the time that Jesus first called them as disciples to now? The resurrection had changed Peter. Peter was not terrified of Jesus. Peter could not get to his Savior soon enough. And this, as John tells us, the third time that Jesus appeared, you say, what is the big deal with all these events? Because every time, every time that Jesus made a resurrection appearance, it was as if he was rubbing Satan's face in it, that he was the loser. He had failed. Because of his resurrection, Peter was changed and we are changed. Dear friends, that means that we are actually different. We are not failures. The resurrection means we are followers. We are not failures. The resurrection means that we are forgiven. And so without fear, do the same thing over and over and over. Put your faith into practice. Make Jesus the foundation and the center of your life. Not out of fear that doing the same thing is not going to produce any different results, but out of confident faith that it will yield results. That when you do these same things over and over and you gather and you make the means of grace your number one priority in life, the results will not be failure. The results will be fruit. Fruit that God will use to bless you as you grow closer to Jesus, to bless your neighbor, and to build up his kingdom. Amen.